Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. Welcome to the next series podcast in our series on world history, this being podcast number 29. In podcast 28, as you may recall, we finally were able to shed that time period called the Middle or Dark Ages. Podcast before that one, I outlined the three calamities that happened within a 40-year period that led to the Middle Ages coming to a crashing close. In the last podcast, I began by focusing on the one individual that the human race in Western and Eastern Europe turned to, arguably for the first time in almost a thousand years, to trust to be able to bring them as safely as possible into the future going forward. And that was the commoner. They wanted to, were willing to believe and invest in themselves for the first time. That's what shed that middle age mentality. So we looked at how the Renaissance in uh, podcast 28, how it began in Italy, how how we fleshed out the definition of Renaissance, looked at the individual characteristics. And then I ended by indicating that in the next podcast, this one here, number 29, that we're going to seriously consider, albeit briefly, two arguably of the most important inventions to come out of the early Renaissance period. The first one that I stated again was the printing press coming out in 1456. Literally a series of podcasts, not just one, but a series of them could be spent on nothing but discussing the impact of the printing press on human society. However, again, seeing that this is a survey approach to world history, let me then just be able to, if I can, stress just how important this invention was by bringing us back not too far from the present day, advancing almost or over 550 years after the invention of the printing press, and that is to the year 1999. In late 98, a study was done by sending out a survey to academics of all fields, as well as professionals in the medical field, legal field, scientific fields, and, and elsewhere, of a long study that was done where it asked the individual their background, what were their academic credentials, etc. But what did they feel, what did they think was the most important invention between the year 1000 and 1999. In that roughly 1000 year period, what was the greatest invention? And a distant second, everything was a distant second and third because the, the majority of them indicated the same thing as the most important invention. Again, that was the printing press. When I turned this to my students, 
and the Middle Age comes to a close and I begin to look at the Renaissance, I'll pose the same question to them. What do they think was the greatest invention? And it's no surprise that the average student will think about something and volunteer an answer in the medical field or the scientific field. And I tell them that it's not necessarily that it's wrong, but this invention actually is more important than that for reasons that they'll understand once they think about it a moment. But the invention has nothing to do with medicine, arguably has nothing to do with science either. It's a mechanical thing. And that throws the students even further. And finally, I'll tell them that they have at least one, if not more examples of these sitting right in front of them. Perhaps a few examples are in their car. Many might be in their home or office. And that's when you begin to think about the book, the text, the, the printing press. They'll say, absolutely right, the printing press, Hans Gutenberg's printing press. And then I'll come back to the students that volunteered the answer, a cure for polio or other medical advances. So I said, why do you think the printing press is arguably more important than the cure for something? And that's usually when they put two and two together and say, yeah, absolutely. If that discovery had been made before the age of the printing press, then that idea would have died when they died or their immediate community died if there was no way to communicate the importance of what was discovered. So again, without being able to spend much more time on that, just wanted to just trying to stress the importance of the printing press on human society. Because of this, other fields are going to open up as well. And that's an understatement. When I say that literacy, for example, eventually skyrocketed. But also something else happened at the same time. That with small print being produced more and more as the years go on, that's when it's going to dawn on the human race that not everybody, shall we say, is blessed or graced with the same eyesight. In other words, that's when we begin to figure out that, wait a minute, so-and-so can read this printed word, but I can't, or I can only read it if the print is larger than the next person, than the person next to me. What's going on with our eyes? So medically, we begin looking at the human face, specifically the eyes, in ways that we never could before. We don't know exactly where it was invented. We don't even know the who. But it's not hard to believe that at some point, somewhere along the line, a printed document was on a table and a drop of water or several drops of water fell onto the page. And the person looking down at the document to wipe the water off surely had to stand back a moment and say, wait a minute, with that droplet of water on that document, those letters underneath that water droplet are different. So they start experimenting with glass and glass being able to, if we were to make it certain shapes, convex versus concave, that's going to launch the whole industry into microscopes. It's going to launch our curiosity into telescopes and other forms of scopes. It's also going to launch the eyeglass industry and the requirements that many are going to have for those particular items moving forward. It's going to revolutionize communication not only in terms of speed, but consistency for the accuracy of the documents that are copied.
Before the printing press, the only way you're going to have several copies is somebody writing that down. And with that, always is the risk of error of forgetting a word, adding a word, misspelling a word on one version, but not the other. The printing press eliminates all those. So again, we can continue to spend more time on that, but we'll, we'll get back to the impact of the printing press as humanity moves forward into the Renaissance and other ages that follow the Middle Ages. The other invention that I left you with a question mark about, arguably is one it can be considered the second most important invention to come out of the uh, late Middle Ages, early Renaissance period. And that, of course, is the idea of the clock. Remember that prior to the clock, individuals were figuring out what time it was based on a rough estimate of where the sun was at in a given day. Human society by this point was well aware enough to know <clears throat> that while there's a predictability as to what phase the moon is in and where it's at in the night sky, nothing was as consistent as that of where the sun was. With the idea of a clock, a winding mechanism that is able to tick away the seconds, minutes, on and on of our time, our years, etc., is the fact that the clock is going to give human society a sense of control that they did not have before. It's going to allow a little bit more separation between that themselves and that of Mother Nature. But please note that one of the other reasons why I stress the importance of the clock is unlike the printing press, the printing press, <clears throat> that is an object. I mean, so is a clock, but a printing press is something that you and I can choose not to use if we so choose, right? Even to this day, it's going to be difficult, but we can do it. But notice that it's almost impossible to escape the effects of controlled time, the clock. Think about the way your life is dictated by where those second minute and hour hands are on a clock that might be in the form of a watch on our wrist, the digital readout on our cell phones, or the big clock hanging in our office, classroom, or wherever. Uh, clocks on our microwaves. They're on our refrigerators. They're on our coffee pots, on and on. But what clocks in the importance of it, and the reason I stress it to my students, is in order for a printing press to work, you simply have to know how to run it, and boom, off you go. But a clock? A clock to you, the listener, right now is meaningless if others aren't also abiding by that very same clock. Think about that. That's the beauty of what clocks symbolize in society. It is evidence of agreement. Notice that when I'm standing with my students, when I begin my class, say at 9.30, and I have a strict policy that if they come in after that, 9.30, they are considered late. And what medium do I point to that was going to govern this judgment about whether they're on time or late? It's the clock. It's the clock on the wall in the classroom. And that's the ones that I tell them. And we, from the first day, I look at the clock on the wall and I said, everybody check your phones. The clock is in agreement. Yes. So if you come in late past 930, 
you are considered late and have to indicate that on your student registration form or on the sign-in sheet, right? Now, they're there. Let's just assume everybody's on time, which most of my classes they are. And we go until 1045. Notice that I can't say, I know it's 1045 class, but I only have a few more minutes because I want to cover the next point. No. There's an agreement that we're going to begin at 930. We're going to end at 1045. There's an agreement that what you're gonna, when you're going to get to work and when your workday is going to be over. And in between, one will be your breaks. One will be your lunch or your dinner hour. Think about, again, the way our lives would be turned upside down if everybody's understanding of this thing called time was literally looking up to see roughly where the sun was at in the sky. So for the time being, the clock is going to seem flawless in our ability to govern our lives. It's going to seem to be to solve all of the world's problems when it comes to this thing called time management. And it's going to work perfectly until humans scratch their heads and say, wait a minute, why does this sense of time different in Boston compared to Chicago? Or Chicago, where I understand that right now it's 6.30 and that's when the sun sets, but now I'm in California and the sun isn't setting at 6.30. It's setting later than that. Go to Boston earlier than that. We're not going to discover that we're going to have, quote unquote, a problem with time until the first time comes when humans are able to travel faster across the face of the earth than they ever had traveled before. In other words, we're not going to have to modify our sense of understanding of time until we start going faster than we ever have. And that's not going to happen until the onset of the industrial and transportation revolutions. How then will we attempt to remodify time? Easy. We're just going to divide the globe into these things called time zones. More about that when we get to the industrial and transportation revolutions. So of the two inventions, again, that come out of the industrial revolution, or excuse me, out of the Renaissance age, it's, it's not to say that there are not a boatload of others. There are, but in terms of those that have the largest impact on humanity, that being the printing press and the clocks. All right. So let's then switch gears here to see or examine how was the Renaissance period. How is that affecting certain people in society? Ladies, I'm going to be sp focusing specifically on you here. The reason being is that what ladies, what the women found in the Renaissance age is that despite the fact that they would become much more educated than they ever had in any other time period in history, they would find that they had less political power than they had in feudal times. In other words, it seemed as though that the man's perception of the woman was becoming very different than women's perception of themselves the more educated they became as time marched on and we went through the various ages after the Renaissance, the Enlightenment age, the age of the Protestant Reformation, etc. What we're going to find is as we begin to get, or continue to modernize more and more, it will find that a male-dominated society is a lot stingier about extending the levers of political power to the females 
in society. Why is that? Think about this. At the end of the American Civil War in 1865, granting citizenship to all black people only took a matter of months to to pass through Congress and add that constitutional amendment. Same with ending slavery. Men obviously therefore had the right to vote. But what about extending that to females? Oh, that wasn't going to take place for well over another half a century. So consider this. If we could go back in time to the late 1860s, to that male, not even dominated, to that male-only Congress, gentlemen, we could ask on the floor of the Senate of the House of Representatives, all of you are going to vote to give the black man the right to vote. Now, it's interesting, a black man that just a few years ago, over half this country didn't want to be free, didn't think they should need the rights to an education to vote, etc. But you're voting because history will dictate that they did, record that they did. You're giving the black man the right to vote before any of you are going to give your own wife the right to vote. Ladies, what was going on in your minds that so terrified men that they were willing to give a former male slave the right to vote long before they would ever give you or their own mother or their own daughter or sister or aunt or niece the right to vote? More about that as well when we get to the late 1800s. So that in terms of just a a couple of notes there on where females found themselves as the Renaissance age continued to progress. In terms of politics in the state, one final statement that I just want to make here as we end our discussion here, specifically on the opening days of the Renaissance, is politics in the state. It's going to be sadly in the Renaissance age that we are going to see the first country, and this being France, raising an army that would be permanent. And once that threshold was passed, that an existing country always has a permanent army on hand, ready to defend itself, ready to advance if necessary. Once that threshold was crossed, what do you think Spain, England, and the Austro-Hungarians and the Italian city-states and the Germanic city-states decided that they needed also their own permanent army. However, history dictates that there was more stability, more political stability, less warfare for the time being. And the reasons for those largely has to do with the fact of the opening of the world around us in the age of the Renaissance. In essence, as one student said, could you say, Professor, that There was more stability, largely because human society in Europe, by and large, was preoccupied with the Renaissance movement. Absolutely it is. And that's a correct way to phrase it. Because remember, again, that second point that I made back in in podcast number 28, when I said that things are going to change so fast in human society in the age of the Renaissance that people are actually going to recognize it that by their elder years, providing how old they progress in given European society, that they're going to notice that that life has changed significantly from the world that they were born into, and clearly differently 
from the world that their parents knew. That's, for the, again, part of the reason why, for the time being, there will be more political uh, stability. So that brings us to an end, then, of the discussion on the opening days of the Renaissance period. It'd be very hard not to argue that almost everything that I covered in this podcast was positive. I, I don't know if you could say that there's a downside to the printing press, a downside to this thing called the clock unless you're pushing the clock or trying to race the clock or curse the clock, but that's between you and your own clock, right? No, but the whole idea is that a lot of good was coming out of the Renaissance. If nothing more, and my students have, have, have literally told me that they see this, is the way that I seem to come alive once again when I cover the content of the Renaissance forward because of the way that humans are progressing so fast now, mirroring the way they did in the ancient world. But that's not to say that everybody or everything, specifically human institutions, are faring equally as well. And of course, the one organization that's going to have a serious negative impact based on the advances of the Renaissance period is none other than the Roman Catholic Church. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Chris, you're already indicating that they had problems before when we discussed that that was one of the three reasons why the age the Middle Ages came to an end was because of the great papal schism. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to downplay that. But the outcome of those three disasters, the Hundred Years' War, the Black Plague, and the great papal schism, one of the children born of that was a population that was now beginning to read on its own and to think on its own once again. And now add to that a printing press. You have a population now that can communicate in ways that never could have been done before in human society in the history of the human race. So what's going to happen is not that the Roman Catholic Church is suddenly going to develop problems. The problems that I will outline the Roman Catholic Church has had now for centuries, arguably over a thousand years in one case. The difference now is that the printing press can start rapidly spreading the signs of those problems. So when we come back to the next podcast, that is going where we're going to look at the four significant problems that the Roman Catholic Church is not suddenly going to experience but the four significant problems that the church is going to be reminded that not only does it still currently have, but it's had for centuries and something needs to be done about it. And that's what we'll begin with, with podcast 30 in our series on world history. So thank you for listening. Please go to my website, ceconsella.com. Email me with any questions that you might have, comments or book recommendations. If you like what we discussed today, please leave me a review as well. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.